Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, to outline or not outline. Many of you might feel strongly about this question one way or the other. We thought we'd talk about it. I've worked with lots and lots of reporters at this point, and I've had a few who really didn't like to outline. They wanted to find their way, to sit down with the blank screen and let inspiration hit. People like Lane. (laughs) You want to talk about your philosophy on outlining? Well, I think I have um, a built-in aversion to outlining because my mother was an English teacher. And from the time I was learning how to write, I was learning how to outline and diagram sentences. And to me, that was always the unfun part. That was like the math part, you know, of something creative. And so it was very, um, once I did So she sucked the life right out of you. (laughs) It did. And it it made me feel like I had to have this roadmap before I could start playing with things creatively, you know, and and telling stories. And so I resented it, I think, from that perspective. Um, My mother made me do them even when my teachers didn't make me do them so it was like someone was checking me on this and it was an assignment to do I never to tell the truth had any professors you know uh, make me outline like that not for journalism um English yes but not for journalism but I think that was where my initial like bristle came from was like having to do that as an exercise Tom French talks about okay you don't have to call it an outline right and maybe the outline the word itself is a bad word to me but I do think there's parts of the before process that I do and especially with your help talking things through with editors that kind of serves as a alternative route to an outline. Now, did you outline early in your career at all? I mean, like, obviously you were churning, you were doing a lot of really quick turn stories. So there probably wasn't a ton of time to rise up on a story. I, I don't even know how many weekenders kind of stories you were doing early on, but did any of your early editors outline with you? No, I worked in a bureau for like the first seven, eight years of my career. And I worked in a bureau for most of my internships too. So it was busy, busy, busy writing two or three stories. And I was lucky if I was able to like sit down. I always kind of wanted to know whether I figured it out with my editor or just on myself, like, where's it going to start? Where's it going to end? And if there is a nut graph, where and what is the nut graph? Like those three things I kind of had to figure out before I started. I couldn't really sit down and, and just jump into it without knowing that. And a lot of times, especially when I was running gunning, in the early years, I was writing the leads in my head in the car, you know, as I would drive back to the office to write the story, I was writing the leads in my head. But often I didn't know where to go after that. It was like, okay, I, I got this great lead and I got the information in my nut graph, but ah, now what do I do? But so if you had a beginning and you had an ending and you had a nut graph, then that, that's, that's essentially somewhat of an outline. I mean, you know. That, that's like maybe a diagram. <laughs> a diagram. So, I mean, I think there are people who have the mindset for it, the discipline to work things out in their head, but, but I, I feel like that's rare. And I certainly didn't have it as a reporter. I so wanted someone to help me make sense of my notes. 
I feel like I could have been a much more effective writer if I just wasn't tossing things out of my notebook. And my outlining in the early years was I'd find a good quote that I was going to end on. And then I'd sort of just take the story to kind of get to that quote. And I wasn't really thinking about things beyond that. I wasn't thinking about elevating the story, what it, what it was really trying to accomplish. It was just sort of like, <laughs> let's just toss some of these puzzle pieces together into this thing and see where it goes. So I don't know, as an editor, I mean, I, I think for me, part of it is it makes me a bigger part of the process. And I always find it discouraging, whether I've been on either side of it, to get a story that you feel like it's kind of organizationally and structurally a mess or like things are in the wrong order. And then you have to give it back to somebody and say, okay, now go redo this all. It's not just that it's inefficient, but it feels kind of demoralizing. That's kind of one of the reasons that I like talking it out so much is because I feel like, I don't know, I, I mean, as a writer, isn't that kind of a, to have an editor come back at you and say, oh, no, 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 flip everything around. Doesn't it feel like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's a lot of work. Yeah, but not everybody's like lucky enough to have an editor like you, right? I mean, I think when I was in my 20s, I would never in a million years have gone, can you help me write an outline for my story? Can you help me like figure out what to say in my story? I, I felt like I had to know more about it before I even bothered my editor right. with it, you know, especially when he was editing 15 people at a time, you know. So what, do you think that would be okay? Like as you were an editor very young, do you think it would be okay for reporters to go say to the editor, hey, help me figure this out? Or does that just sound like I'm a dum-dum and don't know how to do it on my own? Well, I mean, I think especially if you're in a relationship with an editor where a lot of the times you're being asked to rewrite or restructure, refocus it, then it's sort of like, hey, let's sit down away from the rush of deadline there and let's figure this out and let's spend a few minutes talking it out. I mean, editors don't get trained in this business. On Friday, you're a reporter. On Monday, you're an editor. And it's like, good luck. And, you know, <laughs> they, you know, they, if you were a good writer or a decent writer, they think, well, maybe you'll turn into a decent editor. But, you know, this is part of the process, I think, too, and sort of figuring out how to deconstruct stories and what works in stories and what are you trying to go for? So I do think that it's a process and maybe, you know, you could find, you could have an editor who's not open to it, but I also think that even agreeing, even having a quick conversation about what you're trying to do with that story, even if it's not a formal outlining process, I think you're on the same page and that's important, I think, to this, to the process. So what do you want the reporters to bring to you? I mean, you you made it very clear early in our relationship, like it's okay to not know what you're going to do with all this information. You know what I mean? Right. But I think it's very hard for a lot of, especially young reporters to admit that, oh my God, I've been working on this for two hours, two days, two weeks, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, what do you want the reporters to have done in terms of like thinking through or working through the process on their own before they come plop on your couch and cry? You know? <laughs> They don't always cry, Lane. Come on. No, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel like it, it's a tough process, right? I mean, you, you end up, you, and we've talked in various podcasts about different things in terms of the reporting process. But to me, it's like you're going out, you're interviewing people, you're gathering scenes, you're gathering documents. You're obviously the more complicated the story, the more stuff you've collected. And working through all that and trying to figure out what really has importance and what doesn't have importance. I mean, a lot of times I feel like when we're having a conversation around a story, it's during the conversation that your light bulb goes off. And then my, you know, like, okay, we're talking and then suddenly, I mean, sometimes it's not me, it's you. You lead yourself right to the path because you get excited about certain things or there are things that you like, oh, 
it kind of dawns on you that this is really what the story is about because you're just having a chance to talk it out. So it's not like magic. It's like, but I do think the most important thing an editor can do is listen. And so if you're, if you set yourself up that way, then, then just talking it through just, I mean, it just helps you sort of let the best stuff rise to the top. Right. And I, I think it also helps because when we're having a conversation like that, you're not buried in your notebooks, right? right. The, the notebooks are somewhere else. And sometimes I'll be like, hey, wait a minute, let me flip through my notebook. But I think when you go right from reporting to trying to write the story and you're flipping through your notebook a thousand times, that's when you lose your train of thought. That's when the structure completely eludes you because then you're beholden to the way you reported it or the order in which you discovered things. And often that's not the way the story should be structured. Right. I think a lot of reporters end up, I know I did, drowning in your notebook. You're just sort of in your, yeah, like your head is in the notebook trying to find your story. And and so often you do need to just pull away and, and talk it through. So breaking down why I think outlining is good is because I do, I do think it forces you to focus. And we're not talking about your English paper outlines. We're not, although I think Tom was like that, right? Did Tom French do... Tom French was very much like that. And, and that surprised me because his stuff always seems so fluid and, and like perfectly put together. But, but he's very rigid for himself. And when that, he was editing me for a bit, it was like that he wanted a capital A, subletter B, you know, small C, Roman numerals, whatever. And I don't think like that. Like, I think um, some people need it, maybe, you know, and he always gathers so much stuff I can see, especially that he could drown in. I mean, that one story that he spent years on. But, um, you know, I, I think my process is, is maybe partly outlining. Like, I, I don't want to jump in, you know, without any idea of what I'm doing. But even without you working me through this, what I do on my own is, like, read through all my notes take notes on my notes so that it's all fresh in my head. I'm not just dumping back in, you know, to find the right quote. For me, the chronology is the most important thing, the timeline, you know, to have a timeline from the moment, the first moment you know of anything, you know, if I'm writing about a kid who's eight, when was the moment his parents met, you know, not even like when he was born, but start the timeline. And my timeline's kind of detailed, you know, almost like an outline, like right. as possible, detailed as possible. So if I have a timeline and a list of scenes, and then I want like a list of characters, those kind of are my pre-outlining. And I, I try to do that before I even come and talk to you and share those with you, you know, when we have time so that you kind right. of are on the same page. You, you organize your own material in your head before you have the conversation. I mean, to me... Not not the story, but right, the material. The material. Yeah. To me, I think the process of outlining, it begins with those conversations and you're, and you're trying to find the focus. And if you can find the focus, that makes the writing so much easier. I, I mean, I feel like you... Again, you can drown in your notes. There's just so much material sometimes. But even if it's a quick story, I mean, like, what are we trying to, what is this really trying to accomplish? And if you can settle on that focus, if you can agree on that focus, you, you know this, you and I have this all the time. We can abandon some of your reporting because it doesn't fit the focus. Or we can see that maybe you need more reporting because there's some holes in there. But it really helps us to sort of laser in on what we're trying to do. And I also... For me, getting on the same page about what the story is trying to accomplish means that we're having the big picture conversations before you put the first word on on a screen and not when I'm getting the draft and then wondering, wait, why did you start here and why did you go there? And what about this other scene and why why didn't you start with that one, you know? I also think that, you know, I'm a great believer in rewriting. I think rewriting is how you really elevate your work. But I also have seen time and time again stories where people get exhausted 
in the rewriting process. You know, that if, if you try to, oh, I'm going to find my way on this story. So I get this story done and then I got to keep rewriting it. Oh no, it's not quite right. And now I got to rewrite it some more and I got to rewrite it some more. And at some point you can't even look at the story anymore. Bleep. Because it's like, it's like, oh my God, I can't, have I read this sentence 800 times and is it in the right place? I mean, for me, I don't know. I, I get, I get exhausted if I'm reading a story by for the 30th, 40th, 50th time and just there's a little bit of change here and there. And I, I don't know. I feel like you lose something in that process. Yeah, you lose like a creative spontaneity, if nothing else. I mean, because it becomes so densely packed. But I, I mean, I think those conversations that we have, like pre-outlining or, or actually doing the outlining, it, it does a couple of things that you might not even think of. It takes away the terror that like Marie is not going to like this or she's not going to know why I started here or she's going to wonder why I left this out. It, it takes away that terror that we're not on the same page because by the time we're done talking, and sometimes it's only like 10, 15 minutes, right? By the time we're done talking, I know we're on the same page. So that way as a writer, when I sit down to write, I'm not thinking, oh, she's going to hate this or you know, why did we do this? But it also allows me to be a little more creative and playful, I think, because you've said this before, like, don't surprise me. Like, editors don't want to be surprised. And if I've reported this story that I think I'm writing from, you know, a little kid's perspective, but then all of a sudden I turn it into units from the parent's perspective, you're going to be like, what the hell, you know? So I think it gives me more um, creativity to talk you through it at the beginning to say, hey, what if I did this from this perspective? What if I did this from, write it like a play? What if I write it from the inanimate object, you know? And I can play with you in the headspace before I start to put something on paper that you might be like, hell to the no, we're not doing that, you know? What you're saying is it empowers the reporter, right? I think you you end up walking out more confident about the material you have and feeling like, okay, I've already signed off a little bit on where we're going, right? So you can walk out and get going. And the other thing is when we're talking about outlining, to me, it's not like a big, long um, process every time. Sometimes, I mean, I'll outline with some of the reporters on staff on a daily and, and the outline is just as simple as start here, go there, end there. And it's just a five minute conversation, but we've just agreed on how it's going to go, right? I, I just think- I used to chase Mike Wilson, my editor before you. He he always had to like run out in the middle of the day to go do something. And I'd be like, wait. And it was this long walk from the office to the parking lot. So I would be literally, that would be our conversation was from we left the building to he got to his car. Okay, go. You know, and, and even just that, it helped so much, you know. Right. So that's what I'm trying to say to, to other listeners here. Like chase your editors down if you have to, you know, if they don't have time for you, like make time. Um because like you said, five minutes saves probably an hour on the other end. It does. And, and I, you know, if you have an editor who's really not into it or doesn't want to do this, sometimes you, you have another reporter that you talk it through with and you get somebody to help you. But, but we were going to break down our, our approach, and this is what we do most of the time. Now, sometimes Lane's working on a quick daily, and it's, again, like a five-minute conversation, and off she goes. And, and we haven't had a big sit-down or anything because we're trying to turn it quickly. But anything that we have that's a little bit bigger, something that's a weekender or a project, you know, we're definitely going through this process where we sit down and discuss the reporting. And that's what Lane says, you know, by that point, she's gone through her process. She's looked through her notes. I love her advice about taking notes on your notebook. And she, as you guys know, uses these big notebooks, but she gets to break that big notebook down into like the highlights for her. And the, and it refreshes your memory, right? About what you have. And then at that point, I'm just listening. I just want Lane to talk. I want her to tell me what she has. I want her to tell me 
what she's excited about. I can hear in her inflection. I can hear when she's excited. I can hear when it's just, you know, she's struggling with something she picked up on. I ask questions. I take notes because, again, I'm trying to let her talk. I want her to talk and I don't want to interrupt. So I take notes to kind of do the same thing Lane does when she's out reporting, which is let me see what she's given me. And then um, I react to when I get bored, when I'm losing my interest and, and it's waning for me, then I'll... I'll know. And and then we can have that conversation. And I think the beauty of it is at that point, you're not so invested in any one approach that I'm like breaking your heart or anything. At that point, we can both be dispassionate about it. We can say, all right, well, that sounds good. Or that doesn't sound good. And, you know, it's not like I'm attacking, you know, we're, we're both sort of looking at the material, right? Not the person or the process, just what do we have and what do we want to make of this, right? Right, because at that point, you're not fixing something I've done that I feel bad about, you know, or feel good about, right. <laughs> that, you know, you're helping me figure out what to do with it. And I also think, especially I hear a lot of um, young reporters and I was like this too, like, okay, I've interviewed nine people. I've got to quote nine people. No, you don't. You know what I mean? And I, But I want to make sure a lot of it's like I want to make sure my editor knows I did my due diligence. I figured this information out. I talked to this person. I got these documents. And I sometimes just need you to go, yeah, and, you know, like that. Like, you know, I don't I need permission to know I don't need to use that. But I kind of want to dump it sometimes so that, you know, I have it if we need it or maybe I feel like I should include it and you're like, yeah, no, we're good or make it a sidebar. You know what I mean? Like extraneous information that often bogs you down when you're trying to actually write your product is really helpful to dump on your editor and then let them kind of help you sift through. For us, the most important thing I think is to agree on the point of the story. What is the takeaway? What is the point of view? What do we... What are we really hoping this accomplishes? And that's where often we might drop in the one word and ask each other, what's the theme here? What are we trying to do? But if we can get agreement and we get real excited about whatever word it is, then again, we're like really shaping what to keep and what to leave out, right? And sometimes I know you'll ask me this, which sets me back a pace, but helps. When you'll go, remind me again why you wanted to do this story. (laughs) You know, or like, what was it you were so excited about from the beginning? You know, because sometimes you get real excited about the beginning and then by the time you're bogged down with all this reporting, you've lost your like joy. And I think that helps sometimes for you. And when you take notes on stuff, I say, sometimes it's stuff I didn't remember I said even. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like stuff rises to the top talking to you that I wouldn't have thought to even dredge out of my reporting. So I I think that helps a lot. So then we we talk about where we're going to start and, you know, we want to hook the reader and we want to create momentum. But we don't always start with the most compelling scene because sometimes we're saving a really dramatic scene for later. But obviously we're thinking about how to begin we're looking at the time frame. Lane, Lane's right. She uses timelines a lot. If you don't use timelines, you should, I think. I mean, it's a really effective way to kind of just create your chronology about a series of events. And then we compress it as much as possible because when you compress the time frame, you're able to get more depth out of a story. I think you can read a lot of stories that feel very wide, but not very deep. A big part of that is that people end up just throwing a bunch of stuff in a story instead of really deciding that they were going to focus it and hone in. So we'll talk about that. Where do we need to start? Where do we need to end in terms of the time frame? We are selective about what we use. You know, we're going through and like, oh, if these scenes are doing the same thing, we don't need them both. If Lane has interviewed nine people, but they all said the same thing, then who said it best? 
And then can the other reporting just be used to write with authority about something, but not necessarily all these voices? I mean, we're we're really conscious about how many names we throw at people in stories. So, so we'll do that. We'll think about the most compelling way to end. I, I don't think people think enough about endings. I really think that reporters and editors get very caught up in beginnings. But I think readers are all about the ending. I mean, think about the way you consume things, the way you read books and movies and even songs and how you feel at the end of a movie if it isn't a good ending, like, right? And to me, that's so critical with especially long projects and long form work that they feel like they've gotten through this long story and yeah, it's gonna stick with you because we've given you this great ending. So what our process is, is that I will take up my notes and after we've agreed and we've gone back and forth and oh, what, yeah, this and how about this and all of that, I'll open a Google doc and I'll just create this outline in writing based on what we've talked about. And then I send it back to Lane and say, okay, here's what we talked about. Does make, you know, what am I forgetting? Just a way to spot check us. And then I don't know that she even needs to reference it. I mean, maybe sometimes you reference it more than others, but it's just a reminder that, okay, this is the path we talked about. And often I'll print it out when I get the story back from you, just to remind myself where we were planning to go. If I had to put a number, I'd say like 75, 80% of the time we stick to it pretty well. I mean, sometimes I veer off of it or I think this didn't work the way we thought it was going to, you know, right. but I do, I leave it out. I, when I'm writing, when I'm actually in the process of writing, I clear off on my desk of all my notes and everything, but I have my timeline, my character list, my scene list, and then the outline that we do together. And those are the four pieces of paper I like leave around me on my desk to reference. And I should also say, let's put, let's put a copy of one of the outlines up on the Right Lane podcast so you guys can see it. Cause it's not like a, a scary outline. It's not like a mother English teacher outline. <laughs> it's like, a, it actually really helps because Maria helps me break it down into sections. And we've talked before, like, you know, I like to write to a Diet Coke. So like each section is a Diet Coke length about, and it gives you like so much momentum. If you can get through one section and be done with that and then step away and get a new Diet Coke or walk your dog or whatever. But the sections that you help me outline are usually what, maybe three or 400 words each. And it also really helps transist to the next part. Cause I know from a lot of my colleagues, that's some of the hardest stuff is like transitioning from a scene to some information and a scene to some background. And a lot of time our chronology is that like A, B, A, B, scene, information, scene, information. But having that um, spelled out in yours is prose. It's not like little subheads thing. It's like little sentence prose. Right. And it reminds you of like, what detail should I include here? What quote should I include here? Which which moment should I strike in, in this section rather than trying to save it for the next section? But also, how do I get from here to there? Right. How do I get from this scene in the courthouse back to what the opioid addiction is like nationally? You know, and I, so I think having those chunks already um, delineated really helps when you sit down to write. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And you raise a good point. So it doesn't always work. You know, we, we may think, oh, this is this looks like a good plan. And then 
you start writing and it just feels, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know, this lead isn't delivering what I thought it was going to deliver. Or, you know what, I think this other person is really the more compelling way in. That's fine. I mean, neither of us is so wed to it that we can't let it go. But it does, like most of the time we do, we follow it and it and it feels natural. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll include one just so you guys can see what it looks like. Because it isn't, yeah, I don't, we're not talking uh, Roman numerals in upper and lowercase letters. We're just talking about like, okay, in the first section, we're going to do this. And in the second section, we're going to do that. Anyway, I do think it saves time. I, I really do. And I, and I think it saves some of our energy. It puts our energy into the writing and the, and the polishing and the making it, you know, elevating it. So I should add too here at the end that we're still waiting on Diet Coke to sponsor the Right Lane podcast because Lane is still using you to fuel her, her work. So just let us know. Okay, if you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to rightlane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.